Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Baseball fans, BetMGM is giving you the chance to win a prize every day during the baseball season. Step into the batter's box for BetMGM Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. Pick any area of the strike zone and take your best swing. If you get a single, double, triple, or home run, you'll receive a prize. Smash a home run to collect a bonus bet on us. Just log into your BetMGM Sports account to get started. Then visit your promotion section to access the Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. You'll score a prize if you hit a single, double, triple, or home run. There's nothing more exciting than going yard. So swing for the fences with the king of sportsbooks. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. Must be 21 plus and present in Ohio. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards vary depending on the market and expire 24 hours from issuance. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Tuesday, May 25th, 2021. On today's episode of the show, we're going to be talking about the latest film and TV news. My name is Ben Pearson. I am the senior writer at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film Managing Editor Jacob Hall. Hello, hello. And writer of White Bui. Hey, everyone. All right, guys. So let's kick things off here with a, uh, a reaction to Edgar Wright's newest movie his his the, the trailer for his film last night in soho uh, finally debuted after a lot of anticipation uh it debuted this morning and uh yeah what do you what did you guys think about this um hd let's start with you i loved it i'm already was i was already very excited about this movie from the cast from edgar wright and um the trailer is so stylish and so inspired by the giallo Sort of films of like Daria Argento, and I also feel like a little bit of Polanski too, which I found really intriguing. So I I think that the sort of time hopping element and the um, just very in, very specific style that it has is just a uh, very in- enticing. I'm excited for it, and also <laughs> it allows Matt Smith to be hot. So I'm excited about that. <laughs> oh yes, your beloved Matt Smith. Okay, yeah, that's great. Um. Yeah, for me, I, I also really appreciated the style of it. I think, 
I, I didn't really know anything about this movie other than it was a psychological thriller that had like some horror elements to it. And I think that's kind of, I mean, there may have been some hints as to what kind of genre it was going to be uh, or, or genre references there were going to be beyond that. But in terms of like the actual plot of the thing, I think this is like the first big reveal kind of of like what exactly it's about. I think we knew that it involved um, a time jump of some sort, but I had no idea that it was like a mirroring kind of thing where Thomas and McKenzie's character, like she looks in a mirror and she's played by Anya Taylor-Joy. Like all of that it was uh, a surprise to me. And I was, um, yeah, very taken with the style of the thing. Jacob, what did you think about it? Yeah, I'm really curious about this new phase of Edgar Wright movies. I mean, his initial bursts of films were very much loving tributes, borderline parodies, pastiches, uh, remixes of things that already existed. And while this certainly seems to be leaning on some, you know, 70s Italian horror shtick and also some Brian De Palma, it, like Baby Driver before, appears to be very much its own thing, intended to be enjoyed by people who aren't going to get all the references, even though they're there, a, a more pure film, so to speak. Uh, and I'm so intrigued to see Edgar Wright operate in that space. And, uh, the colors, man, this trailer, it just looks torn right out of a very specific 1970s type of science, uh, type of horror uh, movie, all the way down to the freeze frame before the title, which is, uh, it, it's just, it feels like a modernization of a very specific language that Edgar Wright and other film buffs are familiar with, but packaged in a way that you don't need to know that in order to appreciate it. Mm-hmm. I think this looks so interesting and so neat. So, Jacob, let me ask you something. This is probably going to step on uh, a feature that I'm sure we're going to run. And and I've seen, you know, somebody tweet something to the effect of like every website is going to have like a, a primer for this movie before it comes out. But like, uh, I am not super familiar with the Jallo genre. And just for maybe some of our other listeners out there who might be in that same boat, like I think I've seen the original Suspiria, and that might be the only thing that that would be considered in that genre. So do you have any like recommendations for things that people uh, should maybe check out um, before they watch this movie when it comes out later on? And even then people are, it's still a hot topic button if the spirit counts as giallo. Oh, okay. I, I'm, right. I'm, yeah. I'm not a giallo expert. I've, I've, I'm, I'm familiar with the, the very edges of it. I probably should have had Chris on talk about giallo, mm. uh, but giallo uh, is very much a uh, psychological uh atmosphere over plot and sense type uh, movement of Italian horror cinema uh, defined by abstract lighting uh, by characters with fractured identities, lots of leather gloves holding blades. Mm. Um, it's very much uh, more of a tone than it is anything else. And I'm very curious to see if Edgar Wright embraces that tone or if he'll try to, you know, bring more modernization of like plot elements and character. So that's usually intentionally left by the wayside in giallo but i'm not a giallo expert i'm not going to sit here and try to define it for you but i I guarantee you that we'll probably find somebody who's an expert to contribute to the site to to let people know what they should be watching because i can't give you the proper primer right here but watch this space yeah yeah definitely i'm looking forward to um sort of immersing myself in the the world that edgar wright is clearly drawing from and inspired by here so Uh, All right. Our next story involves uh, yet another project for director Adam Wingard, who recently directed Godzilla vs. Kong, and he has uh, a follow-up to that movie that may or may not end up being called Son of Kong in the works. He's also working on a Thundercats movie and a face-off sequel, but now he has yet another film in the works, and it is an adaptation of a comic series called Hardcore, which uh, originated 
from uh, Robert Kirkman, who created The Walking Dead, uh, and this guy named Mark Silvestri, who did um, several runs on a bunch of different comics that that comic readers would know, Uncanny X-Men and Wolverine being, I think, some of his longer runs there. Um, I have never read this comic, but uh, reading about it, it made me think of a movie, and uh, I'm curious if you guys know which movie I'm talking about. Um, so the, the premise here is that technology exists in this, uh, this futuristic setting for this film, where the government uh, is able to possess anybody on the planet and use them as weapons. There, there's like an agency that like is able to leap into somebody's body basically and um, and use the, these people as weapons. Um, the lead agent in the, the the protagonist of the comic finds himself isolated in this possessed asset. Uh, and this rogue agent comes in and tries to take over the entire company that, that he works for. And he has basically 72 hours to get back into his own body. So uh, any any of you have an idea of what movie that sounds like? Uh, I'll give you a hint. It's something that came out very recently. I don't know. Ben sounds an awful lot like Possessor to me. <laughs> yes. So Brandon Cronenberg's movie Possessor, which we talked about a lot uh, in the best moment, uh, movie moments of 2020 podcast. Um, that movie, I feel like has a, uh, it lives rent free in the heads of, uh, of many slash film staff members. We'll put it that way. Um, but Jacob, since you, you like that movie a lot, uh, what do you know about hardcore? Have you read this comic and, and what do you think about the similarities there? Do you think, um, Possessor was a big enough deal when it came out last year that people are going to care that this sounds an awful lot like it. No, I, 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 on the list of Adam Wingard movies that are he's lining up, this is the one I put money on not getting made. <laughs> um, okay. This is one of those comics that really kind of came and went, only ran for a few issues. I did not read it. And it was from this era of image comics where Robert Kirkman was essentially creating comics, but then handed them off to other people to essentially write them while putting his name on it. It's because people would buy the comic from the creator of the walking dead. Mm-hmm. And this one did not take off. Uh, and I don't know. I, I feel like possessor struck a chord with a very niche group of people. Uh, so it's not like that will ever get in the way of this, but I also feel like when Adam Wingard's looking at Thundercats and another Godzilla and Kong movie and uh, everything else he has on his plate, I don't see how this gets made first and I don't see how there's much interest in it for anybody to see this sort of forgotten comic from a well-liked creator, but not a guy who necessarily gets movies made yet. I, I, right. I don't see, I don't see momentum on, on hardcore. I don't see this being something that we should expect in the immediate future, unless everything goes wrong for Wingard on every other front. <laughs> right. Yeah. I kind of had that same feeling and it, it just sort of feels like the, um, the kind of announcement that we would have gotten 10 years ago where, it's just a recognizable piece of IP and, you know, it's like the the director of the day gets attached to something like this and it just ends up never, never actually happening. So um, I, I feel like that kind of thing used to happen a lot more than it does now. Um, I think whether it's because studios have sort of trimmed down the, the slate that they have in development um, as they've gotten, you know, increasingly risk averse or whatever the reason may be for that. But um, yeah, we'll have to keep an eye out for hardcore and see if that ever actually comes to fruition. But um, let's talk about another adaptation and that is the uh, portal movie. HD, tell me about this. This is a movie that was announced a long time ago. Yeah, it's almost a decade ago. It was eight years ago that uh, JJ Abrams and video game producer Gabe Newell uh, announced that they are working on feature film adaptations of their the video game franchises from Valve called Portal and Half-Life. And um, we haven't really heard many updates since. There's been some peeps about Portal 
But um, this is the first time since that announcement that J.J. Uh, Abrams has come and confirmed that there is still a Portal movie that is in the works and that Warner Brothers is excited about the direction the movie's going in. Uh, a script is being written right now. And he says, quote, it feels like the thing's finally on the rails. There are no other details than that. <laughs> um, and uh, I admittedly don't know much about Portal. I had to be given sort of a primer by Jacob. So I'll let him... Talk a little bit more about this, actually. Jacob, you take the floor, please. Yeah, Portal was a, an interesting thing because it began when a weapon was designed for the Half-Life 2 video game. It didn't fit into the game itself. A portal gun where you'd fire the trigger once and create a portal. And fire the trigger again, create a portal elsewhere. And you could walk through those portals to you know bridge distances and move through walls or interact with the environment in unique ways. But since it was cut from the game, people liked it. They said, let's, let's put this build a game around it. So they built a game called Portal, which is this first-person puzzle game where you wake up in this uh, laboratory setting, this research facility, where a AI, this robotic voice named GLaDOS, is essentially telling you that you're going through a series of, of challenges and test rooms with this portal gun. And what starts off as pretty simple puzzles start getting more and more complex until you realize that these puzzles are soon trying to kill you and it becomes a survival game that ends with you fighting GLaDOS itself. And it is a five-hour game. It is incredibly funny. It is, the puzzles are good, but it is hilarious. GLaDOS is one of the great video game villains of all time. She took on a life of her own on the internet uh, as a like meme and a villain. The fact that she sings the in her computer voice the game's theme song of the end credits is just like <laughs> one of those great you know 2007 internet moments if you were around for it. It was incredible. And the sequel is equally great and also really funny and features actors like uh, uh, like J.K. Simmons is in it as a voice character, and uh, Ben, I am forgetting his name, the co-creator of the uh, British Office, uh, oh, Stephen, uh, Stephen Merchant. Merchant. He plays another character in the sequel, and the sequel is so funny. These games are so funny, and they're stylish and have great puzzles. But the writing is probably the best video game writing I've ever encountered. <laughs> and wow. uh, but the, the the problem is that Valve, as a company tends to make a game, then waits 10 to 15 years to make another game because they're too busy running Steam, the online um, P, uh, PC gaming store uh, that everybody uses. Uh, so the, the joke that they announced a Portal and Half-Life movie in 2013 and still hasn't been made is very par for the course for Valve, who, whose culture is very much a take-your-sweet-time-between-projects type thing. Uh, there was a short film made by a friend of Slash Film, Den Trachtenberg, in 2011, that essentially catapulted him on, on everybody's mind. And I think a lot of people may wonder, will that be enough to get Dan Trachtenberg in the director's seat on a Portal movie? Who knows? Because he's doing his own things. And that short film was literally 10 years ago, as opposed to eight years ago for the official Portal movie. Uh, but all I'll say is that Portal functions so well as a video game, but it's also a first-person puzzle game uh, where the plot happens through computers talking to you and you finding voice recordings. And your character doesn't really never really speaks. So it, it, it's, it has the perfect language of a video game, uh, but it's not really built for cinema. There's only one human character <laughs> in both games. So it's just a matter of how do you crack that as a movie? And the answer is, I don't know. So I'm not surprised it's taken this long. And I'm not so sure there should be a Portal movie, to be honest, even though the games really are all-timers. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask is because like Portal No Escape, I think works really well because it is a short film, right? Like there, the, uh, and that, that's like a, um, that's a third person uh, kind of uh, short. If, if memory serves, it's not necessarily all from the first person POV, like, um, like Hardcore Henry or something like that. And I feel like a, an entire Portal movie in that hardcore Henry first person style might be too much, especially since 
you know, the entire concept is like, okay, I'm going to shoot one opening of this portal on, you know, on the floor right in front of me. And hmm, let me look around and see where can I shoot the other one? Where's the best place? There's like a lot of deliberation and stuff that goes into solving these puzzles. So that, that yeah, like you said, does not strike me as something that's particularly cinematic. And then doing the entire thing in third person seems, um, I don't know. I, I'm not sure if that, if that premise can like sustain an entire movie's worth uh, of stuff on its shoulders, but I mean, the only way I can see it, Ben, is if they really cut down to the wire, made like a 78-minute long movie that is just two characters, the protagonist and the computer voice, the hilarious, menacing computer voice that's trying to kill her, and you just absolutely strip it of all pretense of being anything beyond a duel of wits between these two. Uh, But I can't imagine J.J. Abrams and Bad Robot wanting to make a stripped-down 78 million 78 minute, you know, expensive sci-fi movie like that. Maybe unless it's on HBO Max because he has that deal with Warner Media. So maybe if it's like some sort of weird middle ground thing where it's like not quite a full feature, but not, but longer than a short film or something, maybe there's some room to like play with form and experiment with, with things like Netflix has been doing with like the OA and stuff like episode links and stuff like that. So maybe, maybe there's a chance to do something there. I'm just spitballing here, Jacob. I don't really know. Yeah. Um, all, all I know is that uh, I am, I would love to see something done with portal. I would, I know I'd actually prefer portal three video game at this oh, point yeah. rather than a movie. How long uh, but, since portal two at this uh, point? 10 years, literally 10 years. Oh wow. Um, <laughs> but the problem is that valve is, like I said earlier, so focused on running a successful storefront that they very rarely make games. So I guarantee you Gabe Newell has not been returning J.J. Abrams' phone calls. He's been too busy (laughs) working on Valve. Sorry, working with Valve on Steam stuff. All right. So our next story involves uh, another of the Game of Thrones spinoffs that HBO is developing. Uh, This one is called 10,000 Ships. And um, HD, I think you and I actually talked about this when the news about this first came out. But now this show has found a writer, and that is Amanda Siegel, whose credits include shows like The Good Wife and Person of Interest. And she also worked on, let's see, other things that I have right here in front of me. Without a Trace, Nikita, The Mist, Shooter, and Marvel's Hulu series Hellstrom. Um, she's going to be writing this 10,000 ships show, which follows the adventures of princess Nymeria, which, uh, is set about a thousand years before the events of, uh, the, the flagship game of Thrones show. And it, it follows, uh, princess Nymeria and her journey to Dorne. She takes this fleet of 10,000 ships and sails after a, a, a defeat on the battlefield, basically, and, and sails all the way, um, from Essos to Dorne and, uh, ends up marrying into House Martell and uh, sort of turns Dorne into this this really impressive you know, kingdom to be reckoned with. So um, Nymeria, if you recognize that name, if you're a Game of Thrones fan, uh, Nymeria was the name that um, that uh, Arya Stark chose to name her Direwolf. So she named her after that famed warrior queen. So um, HT, I remember that when you and I were talking about these, you know, ideas that were being bandied about for Game of Thrones stuff, you were saying that this one has some potential in your mind because of the the Dorne stuff, right? Or do you still um, you still hold that position? Yeah, I think of the spinoff ideas that were being uh, bandied about, like you said, this was the one that had the best promise. I think that Dorne is a sorely underused, um, like, geographic region of mm-hmm. of Game of Thrones. I think the culture is so rich and so interesting. I like the fact that it's inspired by um, 
Moorish Spain, which I think uh, has so much visual and um, roots and cultural roots that you can put into this fan- fantasy show. Mm-hmm. And the story of Princess Nymeria, Warrior Queen, is already something that sounds so interesting and exciting. Um, I don't know about much about Amanda Siegel's works. Uh, from what it sounds like, she mostly works in procedural and primetime TV. Um, and I'll bet she does, she's written for some genre shows. I heard Hellstrom in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but it sounds like her her experience is mostly on smaller scale stuff and not really the things that uh, Game of Thrones requires. But, you know, I, she's obviously a TV veteran, so uh, maybe it'll be a, a, she'll prove herself to be a worthy choice. Yeah, in the the article that I wrote about this, I I sort of drew that same um, conclusion, but and and mentioned that like uh, David Benioff and D.B. Weiss, the the showrunners of the original Game of Thrones show, did not really have extensive experience in writing fantasy stuff before they got the job to write that show. So um, I guess this is uh, Siegel sort of following in that tradition there. But um, Jacob, what do you make of this? I don't think we've talked um, I, we've talked to you on the podcast since these uh, three Game of Thrones. Uh, shows have sort of been, um, you know, news of them has, has come out into the world. So what do you think about the co- the concept behind 10,000 Ships? I mean, I love the story. I love all the extended Game of Thrones history and the minor characters. I love how rich and detailed the margins of the uh, worlds of Westeros and Essos are. I guess my whole concern is, can we just let House of the Dragon premiere before we start doing this? Can we make sure that the uh, Game of Thrones spinoffs are working? Before we go all in, I would love it if HBO had a regular rotation of shows set in Westeros and Essos across the timelines. This is my Star Wars. This is very much what I would love to see a half dozen different shows about. In the same way, I think Peter would be happy to see nonstop Star Wars on Disney+. Plus. This is is very much my jam. I just want them to make sure one works before they commit. You know, I know they're only writing this one, but come on, guys. Let's just do one at a time. I'm I'm ready for one to work. I, I would love to see... House of the Dragon work before I get too excited about 10,000 ships. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of right there with you. And like the idea of, um, of an entire show about that journey, like what is it? Is it like the Odyssey where there's just a bunch of stops along the way? Because the story, you know, the mythology of, of Princess Nymeria's journey in Martin's works. And, and, you know, if you look up Wikipedia entries of all this stuff, basically it just says like, Yep, they traveled from Essos to Dorne, and like that's kind of it. So, like, are, is the is the bulk of the show going to be set? Is it going to encompass the entire story? Is it just going to be like I, I don't know how how do you spin this out into multiple seasons? Um, you know, how far beyond? You know, if you're in a, a season two of a show after they've already landed on Dorne and it's called Ten Thousand Ships, and Nymeria is no longer using the ships, that title of the show doesn't really make sense anymore. So oh, I disagree. I, th- I think he, the opening shot of this show is her burning Ten Thousand Ships, and the, the, the title of the show is a reminder of the sacrifice she made to guarantee that she achieves conquest on this new land. Okay. Uh, I, yeah. Sure. You talk me into it. I, I, I also like your pitch of it being an Odyssey type adventure too, because that. Uh, has a lot of potential for more weird fantastical elements to be introduced without completely taking over the show. I also had anticipated the show being more about her conquest of Dorne, I guess, because that's what she's mostly spoken of in the mythology of of um, A Song of Ice and Fire. But uh, I'm intrigued by the Odyssey pitch that you kind of just casually <laughs> made. Ben. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I feel like that's a, a really great way to um, come up with original stuff without pissing off the diehard fan base. Because just because Martin 
didn't lay it out in his history doesn't mean that there isn't some wiggle room there to, to sort of insert, um, you know, uh, fresh adventures sort of in between point A and point B or whatever. So, Do you know how you convinced George R. R. Martin to add stuff to the mythos, Ben? Um, you just, you, you put, uh, his unfinished, uh, tome of winds of winter in front of him, and then he just gets distracted and does anything else and, 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 you know, tumbles over and starts working on that. Is that the answer? I don't know. I was going to say, put another zero on the check so you can see you living very comfortably <laughs> while not finishing that book. <laughs> All right. Uh, so our last, uh, news item here involves, uh, F9, which is not really a news item, but the movie, uh, the review embargo has lifted and HJ, you saw the movie last night. You have a review up on slashfilm.com which i've linked to in the show notes so i encourage people to go there and check that out but i just wanted to take your temperature real quick hc and and see this is maybe my most anticipated movie of the year so far like one of them certainly in the in the top three um and i know that you uh are also a fan a fan of this franchise maybe not quite to the level that of like obsession and and ridiculous uh, adoration that i have but i know that you're like you know invested in this to to some degree so what did you think about the new movie without giving any big spoilers away it's gloriously silly <laughs> and i think if you have been on board with all the the french fast and french Furious franchise up until now, you will love this movie because it embraces the absurdity of the series and uh, just takes it to new heights. And I won't go too long on it because I have my review on Slash Film and I'll probably talk about it a little more on the water cooler tomorrow. But um, there's 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 a, a soul to this movie that I think that Fate of the Furious missed out on. Um, and Justin Lin brings back that, I guess, charm and warmth that I had with the with the franchise before he left. And I think that uh, he's also setting the stage for the finale. It feels very much like he's kind of reverse engineering an Avengers type situation here, Ooh, yeah. which I think um, you'll appreciate. There's a lot of uh, strings being pulled and pl- uh, quote-unquote plot holes being filled in an attempt to say that this actually was a whole franchise and we didn't just do this willy-nilly <laughs> which looks it which is obviously haphazard and you can see the wiring but it's a lot of fun and you're just kind of in it for the long run already so you're like i'm already here i'm here to watch a rock a car get sent into space it's very silly who <laughs> realism who cares yeah, man, I'm so glad to hear you say that because that was my big question for you is like, I, I was not really a big fan of The Fate of the Furious because I felt like it um, it lost some of that heart that those previous movies had as, as ridiculous as the franchise was before that point. It, I really felt like it had um, it had a beating heart at the center of it. And without Paul Walker, I feel like the that eighth movie really sort of felt his loss in a pretty profound way. Um, but to hear that, uh, that Justin Lin sort of brought the the groove back to the franchise is really nice. Do you, f- let me ask you real quick. Do you feel Paul Walker's loss in the same way that, that I did in, uh, in fate of the furious or is there enough going on here or maybe um, enough opportunities for other characters to inject some of that heart where it's not as um, that, that wound is not as fresh. There are some nice nods and references still to Paul Walker, which um, his shadow still looms large in the in the film, but not in a way that I think it takes away from it. But I do think that their attempts at emotionality kind of fall flat a little because they're it's all about Dom and they're trying to build it out to be like his legacy and stuff. And unfortunately, Ben Diesel isn't the most adept actor. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, I, I didn't I wasn't on board with it, but um they try their best. 
Okay. And uh, so if if you if you buy it, then then you know you'll be in for it. But uh, I think that even if the emotionality like does fall flat and doesn't always work, uh, it's it's silly enough and comedic enough. It's it's metatextual too in a way that I think the, a lot of the past Fast and Furious movies haven't been. Like it's very self referential and self aware and self and um, and self deprecating, which I found really funny. So that element was also really fun. The heart is still kind of a little wonky with with Paul Walker gone, but it um, it's there versus being just kind of the empty husk that I felt like Fate of the Furious was. Yeah, yeah, right there with you. Um, Jacob, are you looking forward to F9? Yeah, there's stuff in HT's review that uh, got my eyebrows raised far enough off my forehead they fell off my face. So um, <laughs> I encourage you to read her review uh, on slash film.com. Uh, she does a really good job of avoiding uh, you know, major spoilers, but she does touch on some stuff that, you know, some basic plot elements that that, that really got me intrigued about where this movie goes awesome all right so again yes uh you can you can read that and you can read more about all of these stories that we mentioned on today's show at slashfilm.com and linked inside the show notes of this episode that's going to bring us to the end of today's episode of slash film daily you can find this show published every weekday bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and tv as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site you can subscribe to the show on apple google overcast spotify all of the popular podcast apps and send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at peter at slashhump.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thank you all for listening, and we will talk to you tomorrow.